And we are uh, continuing our, our series through the Gospel of Mark, and this morning we find ourselves in Mark chapter 4, verses uh, 35 to 41. If you have a Bible, you can turn there, um, looking at the life and ministry of Jesus Christ as recorded uh, by Mark. Uh, before we, we read, before we hear, uh, let's pray in this time to prepare our hearts and for the Spirit to be a petition of the Spirit to be at work among us this morning here. Lord, we, as, uh, as Ezekiel says, we are the dead bones uh, all around uh, who need to hear the words of life on our own. Uh, we can't. But your Spirit, though, brings us to life, and your Spirit goes forth with your word, and so we beg that he would be here with us in this time, uh, raising us to life, uh, knitting us and fitting us back together into the ways that that resemble Jesus. Uh, We pray that your power would be going forth here in this time. Uh, We pray that you would give us ears to hear. We pray that you would give us softened hearts. And we pray that Jesus would shine through clearly, not just words about him, though, but that Jesus, his person and his work, Uh, Him coming to us as sinners would come forth in in here. And that we would be moved to respond. Moved by your spirit to respond in faith, uh, in in work, and in love. Towards you and towards one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. Uh, Pay careful attention, this is the very word of God. On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and all the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling but he was in the storm or in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Amen. Every one of us, every single one of us here is afraid of something. At least something. Probably a whole lot of things, but at least something. What is it that you are afraid of? Not just like the dark or spiders, although those things are okay but the deep-seated fear that lies at the heart of it all. It could be loss. It could be loneliness, rejection, the fear of personal physical harm, of financial insecurity, of failure, of not being able to provide for your family, the fear of your kids going off the rails, of being seen as a fraud. We could go on and on and on. It's one thing to admit your fears, but it's a whole other thing to face them, 
To be in a situation where you are exposed and vulnerable with all of your weaknesses on full display. And sometimes moments like that begin to slowly work on our fears and lessen their hold on us. Perhaps we, we begin to see that maybe it's not so bad after all. Or we see them with greater clarity in that moment so that we're able to face them with more confidence next time. But sometimes facing them actually makes it worse. Because we've seen and we know just how awful it can be. Or the situation went worse than we thought and it becomes imprinted on our minds. But no matter what, we're afraid of X for a reason. Insert whatever you like. And then we will avoid X at all costs. Facing our fears or being brought into a situation that plays on what we are afraid of goes against our natural instincts. It's fight or flight, right? We either fight in that situation, we resist, or we flee to avoid it. And Mark narrates this time when the disciples were deeply afraid. So much you wonder if they would have gotten into the boat in the first place with Jesus. This wouldn't have normally been a reason for the disciples to be so afraid. We know that at least some of them were fishermen by trade in Galilee on the sea. They would have been familiar with the water. They would have been familiar with the waves. They knew how to sail and they knew how to read all of the weather patterns around them. But the situation, though, drastically changes as this storm unexpectedly arises. The winds sweep in, the waves start to churn, and they are helpless, and they are desperately afraid on the water. And in one sense, this wasn't too uncommon, because the topography of the Sea of Galilee, of all the land around the sea with the mountains around it, and then the low level of the sea, because of that, windstorms and squalls would sometimes whip up with little advance warning and rip down across the surface of the water. So it wasn't as if they knew a storm was about to come up. It just happened unexpectedly, according to the typical weather phenomena in that time. And normally for these these disciples, it wouldn't have been that big of a deal. Because again, some of them were experienced sailors. They knew these waters. They knew everything, what to expect. They were familiar with all of this. And they undoubtedly had been in some hairy situations before, particularly with some unexpected storms arising. But we read, though, that this one was different. This was a storm so violent, so unexpected, that even these sailors who are very familiar with everything there were desperately afraid. The winds howled, the waves broke over the sides of the boat, the bottom filled with water, and from their vantage point, it seemed like sinking and death was imminent. Jesus, help us. Don't you care that we're about to die? Let's just stop there for a moment and consider the situation here a little bit more deeply. Here are the the, the disciples filled with incredible fear. Yes, they are afraid of death. But there's a lot more than that. They felt the terror that came with the violent turbulence that tossed the boat around. Not the exhilaration of a safe fear that we might have like being on a roller coaster or watching a scary movie, but a terror knowing that there's no safety net, there are no guardrails, and there's no known end to it all. But you can also factor in that they feeling the dread of not having said goodbye to their loved ones and then left with an unexpected burial at sea. So what were they afraid of? They were afraid of all sorts of things. It was a complex, multifaceted fear, as so many of our fears are also. 
Right, consider for a moment the layers of, of your own fears, the insecurities that you may feel, which then accompanies anxieties. And then there might be the, the feeling that that situation could get worse. There's the fear of what this might mean for you and your loved ones. And then mixed among with all of this are the feelings of sadness or maybe of anger or of frustration amid everything. Or even factoring in guilt and shame with it all. See, fear has this way of exposing us. It brings us to our knees by putting our inadequacies on full display. We recognize just how powerless we really are, which is why we never like being truly afraid. But here's a storm that came upon them. The disciples didn't see it coming. They weren't able to read the skies. They didn't know the conditions of the sea that were going to come up. But there was one person present who knew about the impending storm. Who was it? It's Jesus. And still, whose idea was it to get into the boat in the first place and cross the other side? Look in verse 35. It was Jesus. Let's go across to the other side. He knew what was going to happen, and still he led them across the water. He led them into the storm. That's a fascinating idea right there. Jesus, knowing full well what was going to happen, knowing full well their fears, nonetheless led them through and into the storm. See, sometimes he leads us beside still waters and in, through green pastures where life is pleasant. Sometimes he leads us through the shadows, the valley of the shadow of death, with who knows what lurking in the darkness. And sometimes he even leads us into the storms, into our fears, into our anxious moments, and the seasons of incredible disaster and turmoil. But see, none of it, though, takes him by surprise. He is fully aware of where he is leading us, and he's fully aware of the perils along the route. And we'll do everything necessary, and we'll even go to unnecessary lengths to avoid those fearful and turbulent situations. No one happily enters into places where their, their worst fears will come true. But Jesus, though, sovereignly takes us into them. He takes us through them just as surely as he took the disciples into and through the storm. And if he is who the Bible says that he is, that he is loving and he's kind towards his people and he does what's best for us, then he only acts in love towards his people whom he has bled and has died for. So why take us through these storms? And is he really loving? Does he really care when he does take us through them instead of going around them? Those are good questions for us to ask. And as we wrestle through them, though, let's also remember a few things, though. That we see from this passage. And the first is that Jesus goes with us through the storm. Jesus goes with us through the storm. Sometimes we overlook the minor details that we take for granted. And we miss how they illumine Jesus' character. Right? Does he send the disciples off in a boat to go across the sea by themselves. And then say, I'll meet you on the other side tomorrow. No, he gets into the boat with them. He goes across the water with them. He rides the wind and the waves with them. It's one thing to have someone go with you into a fearful situation. But what really matters, though, is who goes with you in that situation. Now, some of the fears that we might have are 
a severe medical diagnosis, something chronic and debilitating, maybe the diagnosis of cancer, whatever it is. And it's nice to have a friend, a good friend, a companion to go with you into that, that, that exam room, provide the comfort of being with you there, of companionship, and being present with you in your fears. That's a really good thing. That's a thing that we need. But there isn't a whole lot more that they can do for you, right? Even if they know what to expect. What you need is a doctor. You need a confident doctor who knows their field. But a doctor, even though no matter how confident they might be, also needs to be trustworthy or else can they really help you with the fears that are stemming from your diagnosis? Or is it helpful if they are confident but foolish in their confidence? The person you need, the person you most need in a situation like that is someone who fully knows what they're doing and fully knows what's going on. Someone who has the ability to care for you properly. And someone who you can absolutely trust in your, as your weaknesses and your fears are opened up. And all of that perfectly describes Jesus. He knows it all fully. He knew what was going to happen on the sea. He knew his disciples. Not a single thing happened on the seas or in the boat that came as a surprise to him. Jesus is able. He alone was able to command the seas. And he cares. He listens to his disciples. He listened to them in their terrors. He didn't ignore them. He didn't minimize their concerns. As Jesus leads us into our fears, as he leads us into the storm... We have to remember, though, that it's God himself who, will, who leads us and who willingly goes in with us. Right? Jesus shouts to the storm. He says, peace, be still. And the whole sea stops. Who else could command the wind and the waters to be silent other than their maker? They heard the voice of the one who first called them into existence as he spoke into the void. It was the same voice of the Son of God who tamed them as he commanded the waters to be gathered together into the seas at creation. See, Jesus doesn't just provide the comfort of a friend as he goes with us. He provides the confidence of the Almighty God going with us. He speaks to the storm and commands it by his voice. He does what only God can do because Jesus is God. Are you faced with the fears and anxieties that are rooted deeply in your heart or which trouble your soul? In those times, is there anyone better to have with you than the God who is sovereign and who is Lord over all things? What could anyone else possibly offer that's better than the sovereign God in the incarnate Christ with you? He's the one who is in control of all of the circumstances leading to your fears in that moment. Isn't that a comfort to us? Even if we can't make sense of things at those times? You don't have control. But God does. There's no storm or situation that might come upon you that is outside of the control of Jesus. And this is the Jesus who leads you into the storm. Who brings you along into the fearful moments and seasons. But does so also with this deep love and care and sovereign control. Even as the winds howl and the waves crash against you. So second though that we see here. 
as Jesus leads us in the storm, we see that Jesus goes with an abiding confidence. Jesus goes with this abiding confidence. As the storm raged, as the disciples panicked, where was Jesus? He's asleep in the boat. And that seems so strange. We're not told explicitly why he was asleep, but let's think about that for a moment. What's required for sleep? Do you sleep when you're anxious? Do you sleep when you're scared? Do you sleep when you're nervous? There was a time once when I was involved in youth ministry that I led a weekend uh, youth retreat on uh, a a center up on, on a mountain. And early, though, in the second night, I'm in the cabin with my teen boys there, and we're getting ready to go to bed as, as much as you can with teen boys. And one of them vomits that night. And I'm thinking, oh, great. You want to talk about irrational fears? I laid on my bunk sleepless the entire night because I was so anxious that a wave of stomach flu was going to wipe through the cabin of these boys and I was going to be left there. This deep-seated anxiety and nervousness would not let me calm down and go to sleep. But on the flip side, though, why do babies sleep so well? Because there's a sense of innocence. They don't have anything to worry about. They don't have anything to be concerned by. The awareness that they have of the world is just so small. There's nothing for them to be anxious about. You can't just tell a kid who's scared in his bed at night to just go to sleep. They first need to be be calmed. They need to be settled down. They need to be put at ease before they can drift off to sleep. Why was Jesus asleep? He wasn't anxious. He wasn't concerned. Even in the storm and even as the disciples were afraid, he was perfectly calm. He was at peace because there was something greater than the storm that he was fixated upon. That was the good will and plan and care of his heavenly father. He knew who his father was. He knew that he cared for him and he rested perfectly in his goodness. Jesus trusted in his father so much that he was confident that nothing would happen to him apart from the perfect love that he has for, him his, for, uh, he has for his divine son. And that was enough for him to go to sleep. He had that deep of a confidence and trust as he rested in God the Father. And that's not to say that nothing bad would ever befall Jesus. After all, he went through the storm. Storms aren't pleasant. When he was awake, after he was woken up, I'm sure he felt the physical discomfort of being tossed around in the sea. That pit of your stomach, that pit there in your stomach that comes with a sense of turbulence. But that was only one moment in his life. He endured so many other difficult times through his life and ministry. The prophet Isaiah refers to him as the man of sorrows. He felt all of the real emotional burdens that come with rejection, just like you and me. And his sorrows came in even greater waves as he approached the cross. He knew fully the horrors of his impending crucifixion as the wrath of the Father for our sin would be poured out upon him in the place of his people. And there was no one else other than the Son of God who could comprehend what was in store for him there. No one else could know the dread of hell as much as he did. But despite all of that, he still also knew more than anyone else that his father regarded him with the deepest love and would act towards him with this love. 
That although the Father, while he was on the cross, would turn away from him as he became sin for us, he would soon, though, also beam with triumphant joy at his work being finished and the resurrection on the third day. Jesus was absolutely confident in that. No matter what the Father willed for him, he still trusted in his unfailing and his overflowing love. And as Jesus goes with his people in their fear, in our fears, he goes with the same abiding and restful confidence as he did in the boat with his disciples. As he goes together with you who are in him, there's a special relationship that that you have with him. He's not only with you, he's also in you. You are in him. Just like with the, you're not like the disciples with the boat just being with him, but you are actually in him. You go together, united so closely with him and united by the Holy Spirit. And going in him, not just with him. It's so beautiful. Because being in him means that everything that Jesus has, you also have. Even what he has from the Father. Including that love from the Father. If you are in Christ, then the same love that God the Father has for God the Son is also the same love that God the Father has for you. That abiding, that pleasing, steadfast, delightful love. And so with that love that the Father has, for, for the, with the love of the Father for the Son that he has, then you also being in Jesus can have that same confidence that the Son, Jesus, has in his Father. Confidence in the love of the Father and of his goodwill and pleasure that he will lovingly bring you until the end. A confidence like this in God can only come, though, through an understanding that he acts out of supreme love for his children. See, God's love doesn't mean that everything is going to be easy or that there's no difficulty in life. But what it does mean is that he loves you perfectly even in the most difficult moments and he uses that difficulty for your best good. And what is that good? What's that look like? Well, third, we need to see this, that Jesus, part of that good is that Jesus reveals his glory in further ways. As Jesus leads us through the storm, Jesus reveals his glory to us in further and deeper ways. There was something lacking in how the disciples viewed Jesus as the boat was tossed around by the waves. They knew he was able to do something. I don't know how they couldn't after some of the things that they had seen him do before. And after all, they wake him up and they plead for help. Jesus, don't you care? We're about to die. See, there wasn't a lack of understanding of what Jesus could do. But they did, though, have a lack of faith. Not, it wasn't in knowing, but it was in resting in him. Isn't that what our fears and anxieties do to us? They have this way of testing us. Fear is a powerful thing. And it challenges us to ask what we're really going to believe in that moment. Does God dictate reality? Or is it what I see in front of me? Or the turmoil that I feel inside of me? Or the panic in which I'm trapped? Is that what's actually real? But this is so curious. After Jesus calms the storm, what happens to their fears? Now, they're still afraid, right? And why? Or what are they afraid of? If you look in verse 41 at the end, they're afraid of Jesus when they see him there. 
They recognize here that there's something much deeper to him that appears as his voice goes out and commands the waves and stills the sea. I think that they realized in some way, perhaps even in some shadowy idea, and certainly in a way that they couldn't understand, fully anyways, that they were in the presence of God. He said, who is this then that even the wind and the sea obey him? Only God. Who else could it be? And because there was God standing in the boat with them, then they were deathly afraid. Fear is one of the responses that we can't forget about God. Is God loving? Of course he is. Is he holy? Yeah, you better believe that also. He has a holiness that is so other from us and a holiness that is so pure that instills not only a desire for us to flee, but a sense that that we want to just be split, we're going to be split apart from, at a molecular level. Again, Isaiah, in Isaiah 6, as he goes in before the presence of God and is confronted there, he says, Woe is me, for I am a man undone. It's like he just want, wants to be ripped apart at a molecular level in order to hide from the presence of God. God is this absolute holiness. And he comes near his people and he bids us to come before him. But at what cost? There's no way that, he could, that we could ever do so on our own as unrighteous people. The cost, though, and the way isn't to bypass holiness, but for God's holiness to be given to us. And as Jesus stood there in the boat, this was God's means of making us holy right there. Jesus coming to make us righteous and holy with his very holiness, that of the Son of God. See, Jesus isn't our buddy. In one sense, we, become, we can become so familiar with Jesus that we almost forget about this sense of deep holiness. He's a friend, yes. He's the friend of sinners, but not one at the expense of his holiness. I mean, Revelation 1 that we read this morning in the New Testament, the Apostle John gets a sight of Jesus in his divine glory, seated in heaven. The same Jesus who is seated right now in heaven, by the way. And he sees him and he falls down as if he was dead. And that's something that every single one of us would also do if we saw the glory of Jesus as he is right now like that. And when you think of Jesus, does that ever come to mind? I mean, we, we can approach him freely. He came to us. But that doesn't mean that we can do so carelessly or with a sense of overfamiliarity. Friends, we ought to have an awe when we come to Jesus. And when we understand Jesus in these terms, though, we also understand grace a little bit better. Because this one, the one whom John fell before as if dead, is the one who came to save sinners. This is the one who gave himself for desperate and lost people. Not a God who does little more than doting upon us and is at our service as we ring a bell. No. The God who came to save sinners is this deathly holy and brilliantly pure God who puts us on our faces. Why on earth would this God come to save sinners whose sins are offensive to his very holiness? There's no other answer than just by his grace. Simply because he wanted to show us mercy. The disciples only saw Jesus in this new light as he led them through the storm. And arguably, this part of under, the understanding of Jesus here is what they needed in that time. 
of God himself riding the waves with them as they held on for dear life. But without the storm, would they have been able to see Jesus in that way? Would they have seen him more clearly than before without that? It took a situation of being faced with deep fear to get a clearer knowledge of Jesus as he was with them. And without that, they would have missed knowing him as clearly or as intimately as they did. The power that they affirmed about him came to them in a way that enlightened their understanding and would bolster their faith. Now, this is a really hard question to ask and one for us to consider. But is it worth it to go through the storm in order to know God more clearly than before and to understand him and his person better? On one level, that's a hard question for all of us to reckon with because no one likes to be faced with their fears. No one likes to be put in uncomfortable situations. That's an even harder question, though, for those of us, those of you who have undergone or are undergoing really painful times beyond my comprehension. Chronic physical pain, loss, mental illness, Suffering at the hands of another. We could go on. But no matter what it is though, Jesus hasn't left you alone in the boat. But rather he bids you to come to him and to find rest. To trust in him as the almighty God to shelter you through the storm. And also learn in new ways that his love that was demonstrated upon the cross is just the beginning of his care for you. Jesus led his disciples into the storm and the uncertainty of their fears. He didn't only lead them, but he went with them. He was confident in the Father's goodwill, and he further revealed who he was to his disciples. It's providential that this passage here that God has given to us this morning is the one that he's given to us here after after last week. Where as a church now, we're being brought into a storm. Here we are as a church that's facing uncertainties, perhaps even fears and anxieties. At a congregational level, we are having to process through the difficult time of an elder resigning. Our leadership ranks are depleted. And there are all sorts of questions that probably a lot of us are asking as we look ahead to the future here. It's normal for us to have some anxieties. CVP is a place that many of us love here. Love from the relationships. You've grown. The times of ministry here. Knowing a deeper understanding of God. But for as stressful and heavy as a time like this might be, remember this, though. That none of this has escaped Jesus' notice. Jesus is sovereign. Jesus has led us into this time. It didn't happen unforeseen. It didn't blindside him, and he's not figuring out how now to react. There isn't a single detail that hasn't happened apart from what God has set forth for us. This is God's will for us in the moment. But Jesus isn't fretting. Jesus is confident, or he is confident and secure in the will of God, and he continues to rely on the Father's good will for this congregation. 
And we can look forward to gaining a clearer understanding of who Jesus is in all of this. That he, if he shows us who he is in adversity of storm, then we should expect nothing different here. So as we look forward in faith, how might Jesus reveal himself to us in new ways in this season? Because that's what he does, right? What might we learn about him? Both as a church, but also as individuals. Will it be more of his care as a king and a shepherd? More of his power that surpasses all understanding? Will it be his provision? How he answers prayers? How he heals? How he convicts us of our own sins so that we continue to rely upon him for grace? What might we learn in new fashion from him in this time? What might you learn from him? He's with us in the storm. He's in the boat with us. And let's fix our eyes not on the waves, not on our fears, but on the one, though, who commands the waves. Let's pray. Lord, so many times in, your, in the Psalms that you have given us, you describe yourself as a refuge. And the psalmist says, Of whom shall I be afraid? We want those to be the words that we have. Coming to you as a refuge, as the rock, the one who is unmovable. The one who is with us at all times. But it's not easy, though, at the same time, Lord. There are so many of us who have so many different fears. We pray that in those times when we do have those fears or anxieties, that we would remember who Jesus is for us in, this t- in those times, in this time. And that we would put more of a focus upon him, casting our eyes on him, even though the waves and the sea and everything else wants to distract us from looking upon you. Thank you that you give us, that, or that you are with us in those times. We pray that as we are faced with our inadequacies, that you would reveal yourself to us in deeper ways so that we might have a deeper trust in you, that we might know you better, and that we might see that as so increasingly and so exceedingly valuable, that there is nothing better in this world than to know you better. And I've approached, or as we approach the table then, prepare our hearts for that. In Jesus' name, amen.